This is Sonic 16 Presents. back everyone to another episode of the music and photography podcast i'm billy snafford and today i'm glad to be speaking with jake rose jake how are you doing hey billy i'm doing well how are you doing doing great thanks for jumping on with me it's been a little while since we've heard you on embrace the grain and maybe uh we can tease at this point we that we might have a little bit of news towards a little later in the conversation yeah exactly i guess if you've uh gone through the trouble of listening to myself and sherry yeah we have a little bit of news for you later that's exciting (laughs) (laughs) so so because people might be familiar with your photography from embrace the grain and the various facebook groups and because you know i knew you had this interest in music but i don't know as much about that side so i thought we would start there but even before that I know you live in New Brunswick, and and I've got to admit, I'm not extremely familiar. You know, Montreal and Toronto and maybe Vancouver get all the love. I'm not as familiar with New Brunswick. So tell us a little bit about the area, kind of what's it like up there? Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, you're totally forgiven for not knowing anything about it. (laughs) Many people do, I guess, outside of Canada. Right. But yeah, we're, uh, I guess, if you uh, if you know Interstate 95 in the on the eastern seaboard, it goes all the way up the east coast from right. Florida to Maine. We're right at the end of that. Okay. Um, yeah, we're about uh, six hours north and a bit east of Boston and about the same southeast to uh, Montreal. Okay. So we're kind of... Kind of situated in between those two major cities, along with, I don't know if you're familiar with Halifax in Nova Scotia. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we're we're about four hours away from uh, from there as well. So we're in a good central location here in the Maritimes. Yeah, all right. Yeah, well, very, very rural up here. <laughs> almost as far east as you can get in North America, right? Almost, yeah, I guess... Uh, I don't know. Well, yeah, I think it would be Newfoundland. Yeah, right. Definitely as Newfoundland would be the most Eastern point. So they get that honor, I guess. <laughs> so then kind of tying it to our topics of music and photography. Tell us a little bit about those two scenes in your area. I guess we can start with music. Like if you wanted to go see live music, is it all going to be local bands? Do 
big noteworthy bands come touring through there or how far would you have to go to see Taylor Swift even, <laughs> I guess maybe, or, or whoever. Might yeah, I guess through. Taylor Swift, I would have to go to Toronto. I think that's the only place uh, she's playing in Canada. Okay. So that's, that's a good uh, 13, 14 hour drive. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's uh, it's a bit of a hall West. <laughs> But yeah, is but uh, sorry. Typically, uh, yeah, you you typically do have to go uh, for a bit of a drive to see a big act. Moncton, I guess, would be the closest city to us here in Fredericton. I, I guess I should mention that that's where I live. Okay, it's the capital city in New Brunswick. But yeah, the next city east is Moncton. Uh, they actually got Guns and Roses uh, at the beginning of this month, so you know they get okay. big acts. Uh, yeah typically in the summertime, but um, other than that, you have to drive to Halifax or Montreal or Boston, yeah. Okay. Well, is is there a pretty good local music scene there, though? Just yeah, you know, we're, yeah, we're extremely fortunate here in, in Fredericton, especially. We have an awesome music scene. Uh, there's, I want to say, like 60,000 people in the city, and we probably have, I don't know, maybe a dozen different venues for uh, for live acts. Okay. Especially in the summertime. Yeah. Uh, things really get going. And uh, we have uh, a major festival in the fall in September. It's called the uh, Harvest Jazz and Blues Festival. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, we get some big acts with that as well. But, uh, yeah, just once a year. Okay. I mentioned the Facebook groups and one of the groups that we're in together is the, well, the negative positives <laughs> film photography podcast group, but Mike also set up sort of an affiliated negative positives music centric group that we're, yeah. both, that we're both in. And I think you mentioned in there at one point that, for you musically your your dad was a big music fan he didn't play guitar but kind of you got your love of music through him is that is that how it happened absolutely yeah he's always been into loud music and <laughs> even to this day he uh he loves his acdc and his kiss and boston and you know all those big rock bands from the 70s and 80s and yeah right just into all that music and he also gave me my love of uh electric blues okay uh yeah stevie ray vaughn in particular right right yeah okay and so how did it happen for you to become a fan of listening to music to wanting to pick up a guitar and learn how to play some yeah well it goes back to what i just said honestly uh stevie ray vaughn yeah just watching that guy play guitar just blew my mind as a kid right okay. it just you know it just made me say you know how the hell is that guy doing that with his hands kind of deal <laughs> like how was that possible right yeah Incredi so that uh, talented absolutely yeah and gone way too soon but uh yeah he was one of my main inspirations for sure i guess along with angus young of acdc of course you know he's oh, yeah. uh He's got a very iconic stage presence and that uh, <laughs> that really that really made an impression on me as a kid, you know, dancing around on the stage with the guitar and 
in the uh, in the short shorts with the suit. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. But so yeah, how old? Uh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to ask how old you were when you started learning to play. I started uh, learning to play guitar at seven. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I got after it pretty early. I uh, I was blessed that my uh, my parents were okay with the noise and even welcomed it a little bit. And uh, <laughs> yeah, they bought me my first guitar. I think I was six. It was uh, I think yeah. You know, I'm sure you're familiar. You play guitar as well, right? I do dabble a little bit. <laughs> you do dabble a little bit. Yeah, maybe you're familiar with Jay Terser, the guitar brand. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're kind of like lower to middle end guitars, mm -hmm. but uh, I had uh, the kid version of those guitars. So I had a a blue Sunburst J Junior acoustic guitar for my first guitar. Okay, and uh, yeah, I uh, that started off the love for sure. Okay, and did you was it all self taught or did you take lessons? No, no, definitely not. So I I took lessons. Uh, from seven until I think I was 16 or 17 when I stopped taking lessons. I, uh, I took monthly lessons for a long time from a, uh, a local great in the music scene where I grew up in Woodstock, New Brunswick, uh, mm -hmm. about an hour away from Fredericton here. But, um, yeah, this guy, uh, he owned the local music store and was just kind of, an absolute legend as far as uh, local guitar playing went. So I took lessons from him for a long time. And um, yeah, after a while, I just kind of gave up on lessons. It's not that, uh, you know, one of those stories where the guitar teacher says, you know, I can't teach anymore or that sort <laughs> of deal. It was, uh, right. it was sort of, uh, yeah, I uh, kind of pushed it as far as I wanted to go and, I guess uh, when it really comes down to it, I wasn't really w willing to put in the effort to uh, extend my skill uh, past the point I was, I guess. Sure. Did you have any other friends into music? Did y'all get together and jam any or do a little garage band type thing or anything like that? Yeah. So I was fortunate to uh, play in a couple bands growing up with friends. Uh, yeah. Um, I've got a good buddy, Alex, that I grew up with, who's uh, just as big into music as I am. And uh, yeah, he's sung in all my bands. And I've got another buddy, Drew, who uh, drums and another friend, Joe, who's a bass player. So that was the band there. All right. <laughs> yeah. And a couple other people came and went. But yeah, we uh, we just played uh, covers and stuff like that. But uh, yeah um talent shows and we played uh one festival uh three times i think okay yeah just uh just a local festival nothing serious but uh yeah it was a good time right well always, what, always fun making music with friends oh absolutely that's it's one of the you know i i talk throughout the series about these relationships between music and photography and it is one of the things that's really nice about music i think you know photography is so often the thing we do by ourselves but hmm. but being able to play music with other people is is certainly a big benefit i think to having that as as a as an outlet 
Absolutely, yeah. And honestly, it uh, it's kind of a crappy part of growing up because, you know, people move away and stuff like that. <laughs> so I lost my jam buddies. Uh-oh. Yeah, so I've been all by myself for a while now. And um, yeah, it definitely uh, takes a bit of the passion out of it when you don't have other people around you to uh, to make music with and encourage you. Yeah, for sure. But you are still playing. Yeah, yeah, not to the same extent for sure, but I uh, I definitely pick it up every once in a while and uh and you know, change the strings every once in a while. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. you and you either do have or at least you have had a Strat and a Les Paul, so I guess I need to ask you this kind of Canon Nikon <laughs> debate. <laughs> uh, yeah. I do so, I do have both, yeah. Okay. So what what maybe compare and contrast which which is your favorite and kind of what do you like about both maybe i guess yeah it's it's kind of like picking a favorite kid kind of thing yeah oh yeah yeah i love them both equally i've had the strat a lot longer than the Lust paul i i got the Lust paul i think in 2016 and i got the strat in 2007 okay so i uh, yeah i've had a lot a uh, lot more playing time with the strat but I don't know. They're just different tools for job, I guess, or oh, a different yeah. tool for the same job. I should say making rock and roll, but right. Yeah. They're, they're just different. I don't know. It's, uh, it's kind of the same deal of trying to describe the difference between lenses. It, uh, I don't know. I don't know how to put it in words without coming off pretentious, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. They just have a different sound. Sure. And that yeah. was one of the, you know, that's the thing I had Mike and Bill Manning on, on a previous episode. And, you know, we had this uh, lighthearted debate about single coal versus humbuckers. So yeah. do you have a preference there? Yeah. The, again, not really sound? Sorry. Oh, no, just a preference of the sound that they make. Yeah, again, it's uh, it's a similar sort of deal. They're just different. Um, I don't really have a preference. Humbuckers are definitely heavier, definitely kind of cut through things a little bit better, I find. Um, right. that's, that's what I've noticed, especially at least playing live. I don't know. Single coils definitely have that kind of classic snap to them, especially if, you, if you're playing in the bridge position. Right. Yeah, but I don't know. They're just different. And again, I just don't really know how to put it into words. <laughs> right. That's no, that's fair enough. And you mentioned Stevie Ray Vaughan, and of course, he played different guitars. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm sure as all guitarists do, but he was most known as a Strat guy, would you say? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. When I think of Stevie Ray Vaughan, I think of him playing. Uh, his uh, sunburst strat with SRV on the pick guard. Right. That's right. yeah, it's a classic. Yeah. So like you said, I mean gone way too soon, but just such a talented guy. Any uh, any favorite cuts by him? Oh, that's a great question, Billy. I'm a big fan of the Texas Flood album, of course. Uh, couldn't stand the weather is another favorite album of mine from him. Right. I just kind of like it all, honestly. Oh, yeah. I think yeah. certainly not, you know, not a big hit for him. In fact, I think it may have been released 
after he passed. But yeah. uh, one of the things you posted in the Negative Positives music group, I think, was his uh, Life by the Drop song. Mm. Yeah, that's a fantastic song. Oh, yeah. I've really yeah. enjoyed that one and, and kind of speaks to kind of, uh, you know, it's another sad thing that he died young, but he he seemed to have been on the other side of some of his drug and alcohol abuse issues that he had struggled with and had been clean for a while and seemed like he was turning things around. Yeah, I, I totally agree with it. Yeah. It seems that's the way often. Oh yeah. Yeah. It is really sad for sure. Yeah. And so tragically. Uh, Absolutely. And so another thing that, has come up from time to time, not just on this podcast, but in our chats and groups and stuff is, is the similarity with, with vinyl as a way to consume music, you know, and people relate it to the, and on the photography side of things, you know, the digital versus film and, and vinyl being, you know, different from CDs or the streaming services or, or stuff like that. But you you still enjoy some vinyl yourself, right? I I do, yeah. Honestly, my uh, my record player has actually been out of commission for the last several months. Oh no. Yeah, but uh, I yeah I have collected uh, vinyl. Uh, yeah, I've been into vinyl longer than film photography for sure. I think I was thirteen or fourteen when I got my first record. Okay. Yeah. Um again just inspired by my uh my dad and my uncle in particular. Right. Of course, you know, growing up in the 70s they had all that stuff and their cassette tapes as well. I think they right. throw out the eight tracks. <laughs> <laughs> right. Those are the those are the uh maybe to put it in Gutterman terms, the eight track crowd would be the APS people of the music world <laughs> i think that's a pretty apt description yeah it's uh definitely more niche than the niche of uh you know than the niche that vinyl and cassettes already are that's right and uh, yeah and, and i'm sure there are people out there that are that are fans of the medium probably but it's got to be tough i would imagine you don't see or i don't see a lot of eight track players or eight tracks themselves around no, definitely not. And uh, yeah, I think it just goes back to uh, yeah, maybe they threw them in the garbage. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was. Well, I mean, I I didn't live through it, obviously, but I think it was pretty short lived. Right. Yeah. And uh, and from what I understand, kind of more um, geared toward the automotive uh, sector. Right. Like it, you know, you know what I mean, car players and stuff like that. That's right. That's right. I was, I was alive. I was very young, but I was alive. Yeah. Uh, during that era, and I can't remember the specific thing. It's it's a little bit, you know. You pushed the cassette into the player, and it was not. Gosh, I wish I could remember now, but it just sort of started playing wherever it was. You didn't really have <laughs> a lot of control. Well, I guess cassettes were similar. Uh, they, right. eventually, they eventually made cassette decks that would try to fast forward to the next song, but I don't know that that was a perfect science either. Yeah, I don't. 
I don't know too much about eight tracks, I guess, but from what I understand, I think the tape is just in a loop rather than going from end to end like a cassette would. Right. That makes it that that does ring a bell now that you mention it. Yeah. Something so, like that anyway. Yeah. So speaking of vinyl, that is something that is well well certainly different about vinyl than than tapes is you can you know, put the needle down wherever you want it. But part of that classic vinyl listening experience was to listen to a whole album. It wasn't to listen to individual tracks. Is that typically how you have done it? Put it, just put on an album and listen to the whole side at a time and then flip it over or? Absolutely. Yeah. That's the way I always do it. It's uh, very inconvenient to do otherwise <laughs> if you're, if you're track skipping on vinyl, unless you have a fancy automatic player or something like that. But if, if you've got a manual turntable, yeah, it gets a little bit tedious to, uh, to pick and choose. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Definitely. So I know, uh, again, because you had shared different times you were listening to it, but a couple of things that jumped out to me, one was a Dave Brubeck hmm. and one was uh, Miles Davis. So how does this, where does that come in as opposed to the classic rock and the electric blues in your musical history? Where, where does the jazz influence come in? Okay. Yeah, that's a great question. It really comes back to a music teacher that I had. Mm -hmm. um in high school yeah he gave me my love of not only jazz but al also classical okay uh, i don't listen to classical as much as jazz but it definitely gave me a, an appreciation of classical being in his classes and yeah he uh i can't remember exactly how it went but i think Maybe we just did a lesson on jazz in the music class, and that kind of piqued the interest. And then I actually ended up uh, joining jazz band in high school for a couple of years. Okay. Playing guitar? Yeah, playing uh, playing rhythm guitar, yeah. So, yeah, I did that in grade 11 and 12. Yeah. Okay. And, was... uh, yeah, that really spiraled me down the, uh, the jazz rabbit hole. <laughs> right. Okay. Where yeah. was that your first school band experience or had you do you play any of the other traditional school band woodwind or brass or anything like that? I don't know. I'm just a guitar man. All right. <laughs> yeah, so jazz band was my only experience with that and uh we uh we played a couple shows but yeah, it was it was mostly just uh after school and practicing uh that uh that really made me fall in love with them okay what about bass oh some guitar players do have either experimented with bass or maybe dabble a little bit have you ever done any of that just messing around on like buddies bases and stuff like that i've 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 wanted to buy a bass for years but i just haven't had the guts for it i guess <laughs> or the or the spare change right yeah, but I yeah, if I was ever going going to uh, pick up another instrument, it would be bass for sure. Okay. Yeah, in in some ways, I think it's cooler cooler than guitar. <laughs> I think Jody Mansbridge, our mutual friend, might agree. I think yeah. he's he's primarily a bass player, right? I think you're right. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I I totally understand why people would say that. 
Absolutely. Bass is just so damn funky. <laughs> it is. It is. Uh, and so talking about buying a bass is pr a pretty good segue because that was another one of these kind of crossover topics that comes up between music and photography is the gear acquisition syndrome aspect <laughs> of it. And another thing that, that Gutterman would say is that he's afflicted with the two most expensive hobbies known to man. <laughs> so where do you come down on the gear part on the music side of things? Do you have like a lot of uh, notices set up in eBay for when things pop up? Or are you constantly uh, looking for stuff? Or <laughs> You know what? Other than uh, a guitar amp, because I sold mine last year, mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm really set as far as uh, guitar gear goes. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm extremely fortunate to have a, uh, a Strat and a Les Paul. Right. and a couple good acoustics so yeah i'm uh unless i won the lottery or something like that i i really don't think i i need <laughs> another guitar right what about yeah. pedals and stuff like that you mess I, with uh, any of that I, I, i've never really messed around with pedals except for uh, like distortion and stuff like that not a big pedal guy i guess i uh i did have a wah at one point as well but I guess I'm not, I'm not funky enough to use one of those. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, I can understand that. Yeah. But uh, I've got two electric guitars and no amp right now, like I said. So I'm kind of thinking about that in the near future. But yeah, it's uh, it's like you said, photography and, and uh, guitars are not cheap. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, that's the trouble with that. <laughs> so you and I were chatting uh, just a little bit earlier about this this thing with music documentaries, and you know, it all sort of started with you mentioning this uh, Robert Johnson uh, "Devil at the Crossroads" documentary that you had watched, and then I watched it, and it turns out that's part of a whole series of, of documentaries and there's a few episodes on you know, one's on Sam cook, the soul singer one's on jam master J uh, one is on Bob Marley. Yeah. There were a few more, but sort of it, it got me to thinking because there's, there were theme that it seemed like recurring themes kind of, kept popping up in all of these documentaries. So the first one, the Robert Johnson one, you know, he had a hard life, obviously, <laughs> growing up. I mean, absolutely, yeah. Uh, came to become this legend, you know, he only ever made 29 recordings, but those 29 recordings went on to inspire so many great musicians, specifically a lot of the British guys in the 60s. Um, mm -hmm. But he had such a hard life and music was sort of, you know, it was cathartic to him, but also sort of a way out of <laughs> that life that he was in. And and so music is, it seems to me, music is that way for a lot of folks, you know, um, a lot of us dabble in it as a hobby and that's great that we're able to do that. But for others, you know, maybe it's a, you know, it's a path 
for them to have a different life, hopefully a better life. Music, you know, mm -hmm. uh, the in some of the other documentaries, you know, they they talk about protest songs or a lot of the social upheavals going on in the '60s and the musical scene and how they kind of responded to some of that. You know, it's a way of uniting people. And just all of, just the power of music, I guess. And and there's so many ways to talk about that and examples of it. And and sort of photography has its own version of that, I guess, in terms of what inspires people to, you know, I, there are certainly important photographers doing important social work these days. And of course. And editorial work like that. And, and then, of course, more of us on that side as well, doing it as a hobby. And it's great that we get to enjoy that. But all that to say, you know, when considering music and photography and these outlets that we have, and of course the main thing is one is audio and one is visual, but still just that we as humans have these outlets to create and to engage and connect with other people. I mean, kind of what is your, gut reaction take on music and photography on on that level just um that you know what they mean to us as humans i guess yeah that's a deep question <laughs> sure. um yeah let me think about that kind of thought about it too much honestly i lost my train of thought <laughs> um good. yeah honestly i i think it just comes down at least for me to stuff that just makes us feel good right you know stuff that we enjoy at a baseline level right at, at a, in a very kind of kind of primal way almost for sure i do think it's something that's hardwired into us you know every, everybody who sits there even if they're by themselves on their couch but they pick up the guitar to start strumming a few chords or picking out a few notes or you know, they go out uh, with a camera to to make some pictures that, you know, aren't important <laughs> for the history of humanity. But it's, you know, it's this activity we can engage with and create something as opposed to sitting on the couch and not picking up a guitar <laughs> or going out with a camera and just sitting there and watching TV or something, you know, Absolutely. which is which is fine, too. But. I don't know it, it like you said it's primal but i do think we have this something hardwired into us that that does kind of give us that drive to create you think i i think so yeah i totally agree yeah i mean yeah this this life would be pretty boring without hobbies so you know it's, it's nice to to fill it with stuff that we enjoy and especially in this day and age it's uh, it's nice to be able to uh, to have a community online and be be able to uh, to communicate and uh, share ideas with other other creatives that uh, you know share the same hobbies that's right and it it's sort of related to what you said earlier about playing music with friends and and that is a way that we connect with other people through music yeah. um and, and I'm sure, you know, uh, we talked about Taylor Swift. <laughs> there's, <laughs> I, there's a whole community 
you know, of fans of her music. I'm not, I'm not in that community, but you're not a Swifty, Billy. I'm not a Swifty. I mean, no. I, I, I have nothing against her music. And, and certainly if one of her songs come on the radio, I'm not jumping at it to turn it off as quickly as I can, but I, I would know, I would in no way, you know, claim to be as big of a fan as I know that she has out there in the world, but it, but like you were saying, just communities and and these things that we can uh, bond over and and share our interests with other folks. I think it's a great thing. Yeah, absolutely. It uh, makes life worth living, honestly. For sure. Yeah. For sure. So, kind of back to the gear talk, but now moving it over to the photography side of things i know on embrace the grain a lot of times sherry would start at the beginning by by asking uh about your recent acquisitions <laughs> and since we haven't had an episode in a while uh maybe you can catch everybody up so what what have you been uh what have you been able to get a hold of lately uh well over the last three or four months i've been relatively good um <laughs> uh, yeah i I purchased a uh, a Zeiss Super Aconte five thirty two sixteen earlier this summer, which is a six by six folder. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, coupled range finder, which is really nice. Yeah. Uh, unlike a lot of other folders, which are just like scale focus. Right. And I think you've shared that's what you've shared most recently is was with that and some Delta one hundred. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's the first role that I shot through that camera. I uh, got to admit that I've been extremely lazy with developing and scanning uh, over the past, <laughs> honestly, year, probably. Uh, right. But I'm I'm slowly getting myself in gear as far as that goes. But uh, yeah, other than that, I guess I got a Rolly Cord one. Okay. Um, about a month ago, uh, one of the nickel plated uh, cameras. Right. Yeah, uh, very unique looking. A lot of people call it the Art Deco Rolly Cord. Okay. Um, is that we, a seventy-five millimeter or eighty, or what is the lens on that? Yeah, I think it's uh, it's a seventy-five millimeter f four point five triotar. Okay. Yeah, it's a triplet. All right. Yeah, it's uh, it needs a little bit of TLC, but. Uh, like I was saying uh, to you before the show, um, it's it's pretty rare to find something something like that local here. So I had You're to spring right. it up. <laughs> For sure. And these are, you know, two medium format cameras. Have, they you are. Been, have you been more in a medium format kind of mood lately? Kind of, yeah. Maybe subconsciously just because there's less frames to scan. <laughs> that could be the reason right yeah right. but uh yeah this summer i haven't done a ton of shooting except for uh medium format yeah thinking about it now okay and you yeah. mentioned uh knicker mat also project maybe yeah that's right yeah i uh earlier this week actually i accidentally won <laughs> a knicker mat fs with a a 50 millimeter f2 um, okay. It is four parts in repair. Okay. Excuse me. It uh, yeah, it just needs a little fixing up. I think um, 
the lens is clean. Uh, the only thing that needs is just a screw to keep the front from falling off. So, uh, so if all else fails, at least I'll have a, a 50 millimeter F2 for 50 bucks. So could be worse. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. but uh, I'm hoping that uh, camera works out because those uh, Nikromat FSs are are pretty unique as far as they go. Um, mm -hmm. It doesn't have a meter, unlike the other Nikromats, so no okay. batteries to worry about or electronics uh, failing, that sort of deal. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Did you Have you offloaded anything the last few months? I really have, yeah. I... Uh, I had quite a stable of Nikons for a long time, and I was really close to completing the F2, F6, but I <laughs> right. decided to sell uh, an F, an F3, and uh, a few lenses. Yeah, so I've uh, I've lightened the load on the Nikon side, and I guess loaded up on a couple more German cameras. Okay. Yeah. Well, good deal. And what it, do you still have the Leica? Yeah, I've still got a Leica M2, and I have a Leica 2 as well. Okay. Yeah, the M2 is actually out of commission. I uh, I took it on vacation to Los Angeles in uh, June, okay. and uh, like literally within ten minutes of my buddy picking me up at the airport, the uh, the focus tab on my uh, Summicron disintegrated. Um, oh no! It, yeah, the original is plastic. And yeah, that fell a piece fell to pieces in my hand. So that was one thing. And then literally the same night, I was walking down the street and I hear this ting, like, you know, metal hitting concrete. Mm -hmm. And I look down and my shutter speed dial is missing from my M2. And I look oh, down no. and yeah, there it is on the sidewalk. So I have no idea how that happened. And it's definitely the first time something like that's happened to me, but that was a real bad day of uh, of camera luck. Yeah, for sure. Well, how did you have something else to shoot with on the trip? Yeah, thankfully I did bring my uh, a point and shoot a a Konica. Okay. Yeah, Con a Konica Genba Kontaku. It's a, a waterproof camera. Okay. So I did have that at least. Okay. But yeah, that was a huge disappointment losing my uh, my M2 within uh, the first day of vacation. For sure. Yeah, um, so that's been sitting in a box waiting to uh, to get fixed. Mm. So since this is the question that comes up, what was your traveling with film strategy for the trip? Uh, you know what? In the past, I. Uh, I was very worried about x-ray exposure and I, mm -hmm. uh, I made, uh, the TSA, TSA agents do the whole hand check thing. And I, uh, I kept all of my film in a, a Ziploc bag so they could, you know, just visually take it out and inspect everything, uh, film out of the boxes, that sort of thing. But this time around I decided screw it. I'm just shooting stuff that's, um, under 400 ISO. Right. I'm just going to let it get scanned. Okay. Yeah. And I honestly haven't developed those roles yet, so stay right. tuned for my possible <laughs> x-ray damage. <laughs> but uh, you know what? I have had roles go through in the past, um, mm -hmm. particularly uh, coming back from Cuba. Okay. Um, they did not want to hand check 
uh, in uh, in Cuba. So that went through the X-ray, and it was uh, it was all Portra one hundred and sixty and Ektar one hundred, and didn't have a problem with it. Okay, wow. Yeah, but I know other people have had different experiences. And yeah. uh, I've heard the horror stories about the new uh, CT scanners in airports. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, and and, and I sh- I'll jump in on that, too. And, and this is in no way an endorsement <laughs> or telling people to just not care. But uh, when I first got into film or back into film, of course, I grew up with film, but this wasn't a conversation back in the day. <laughs> right. But when I first got back in, in 2019 and I had a trip planned out to San Francisco and I just, I did, I didn't even know that it was a thing that people were concerned about. So I had my photo backpack as my carry on for the plane. And I had, you know, probably, two or three rolls of Tri-X in the bag, plus a roll that was maybe half shot in one of the cameras in the bag and just, you know, let it go through. <laughs> right. And, and I guess it wasn't the new scanners, obviously, because it did go through and everything was fine. I'm, I mean, nothing. And, and Tri-X, of course, is a 400 speed film. So that may have been a, a factor in all of that. Or maybe there was damage that I'm just not, <laughs> uh, don't have the expert eye to detect. But as far as I could tell, it, it, those roles survived okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure like anything on the internet, the, uh, the problems are a little bit overblown. Right. Compared to the reality, but hard okay. to say. Yeah. But just getting back to Cuba, I don't know... Th- I don't know that I was aware that you had gone down there. That's pretty exciting. That's a a, a colorful place uh, from what I've seen. Is that right? Ex- extremely colorful. Yeah, that was an awesome place to take pictures. Yeah, especially if uh, if you're a fan of uh, of old cars from the '50s and in uh, Spanish colonial architecture. Right. Yeah. It's sure. uh, yeah. It's a beautiful place. Okay. Well, how long, how long were you able to go for? I was there for a week in 2017. Okay. Yeah. Went, went down there with some uh, friends from university and, uh, yeah, one day, uh, we, we stayed in Veradero and one day we, uh, took a trip up to Havana Mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah, spent the day taking pictures there, which was an absolute blast. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, here in the U.S., of course, for a long time, Cuba was off limits. <laughs> right. I, I think you can go now, but you and, and it's not super complicated, but I think you do have to get some sort of waiver or permission or something like you can take a workshop in Cuba, but you have to have some sort of legitimate reason why you're going. You can't just say I'm going because I want to go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Exciting but, stuff. That's right. But at least they have eased it up a little bit. Maybe I'll get to go someday. I don't know. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's it's definitely worth the trip just to visit Havana. I think it's uh, it's a fascinating place. Right. 
and real real close for me <laughs> yeah it uh it would be quite close to you right yeah not not too far in the golf there no no not at all no so you you've talked before about how you kind of got interested in photography in high school is that right yeah that's correct uh i think it was grade 12 or or maybe the fall of uh, my first year in university right but that yeah. and that was digital first digital first yeah i uh i got a nikon d i think it was a d3100 okay that was that was kind of my first serious camera um i had a couple point shoots before that right um but yeah at some point i decided that i wanted to really take waterfall pictures so i i wanted something that could do manual exposures so i could slow things down and i landed on a uh, an icon d3100 okay but then ultimately oh after some time you just gravitated towards the analog side of things you just enjoy the process more yeah exactly i think it just comes down to me liking old stuff mm -hmm. i uh like we were talking about before i uh i collected uh vinyl before i was into film photography right and that was the next thing was uh film photography i can't remember exactly how i got into film photography it might have been a youtube video or something right but uh one day i uh, i found a nikon fe on uh, a local classifieds mm -hmm. and it was a good price and it came with the lens so i thought what the hell i'm gonna get a film camera right yeah so i uh yeah so i got that and uh i'm fortunate enough to have a a pretty decent camera store here in uh in fredericton called hervey studios mm -hmm. and uh yeah so they kind of uh showed me how to use the camera and uh they developed my first black and white role for me and yeah it went from there okay well yeah that's that was the other side of the the question i asked you at the very beginning about new brunswick i was curious what sort of the local photography well photography in general scene was in fredericton but uh specifically i guess the analog you did you did find the camera that was local so there are apparently some folks locally who shoot but is is it a big community or do you have a feel for that um yeah so unfortunately i have never seen another person out and about with the film camera in fredericton <laughs> but okay. um yeah i i do know a couple people that are not in the city but not too far away that do shoot film right and uh yeah like i was saying we are fortunate to have at least a store here that does sell film and uh ilford developing chemicals but uh yeah not that big of a scene as far as that goes um i do know the uh the local uh arts college has a photography course with a darkroom uh, portion mm -hmm. but again yeah i uh I don't think I've ever seen someone out and about with the film camera. <laughs> okay. What about uh, just even digital photography? Are there camera clubs or things like yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah. So there's a pretty big, uh, a pretty big photo club in Fredericton. It's just called Photo Fredericton. But uh, 
I think they probably have maybe a hundred members. Okay, pretty close to it. Yeah, but it's it's digital uh, digital focused, I guess you would say. But I do actually know uh, an older gentleman that uh, he uh, he dug out his Nikon F that he's had since the '60s and decided to start shooting film again. So he's been uh, he's been doing that, and I've been uh, I've been chatting him a little bit about that. So it's uh, it's nice to have one have someone close that wants to talk Nikon F. Right. Very cool. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but other than that, it's pretty quiet. Okay. And do you tend to stick to the films and Ilford chemicals that are sold locally, or what? What are your what's kind of your film and chemistry of choice? For chemistry, I uh, I've been using Rodinol and HC one hundred and ten almost exclusively for probably three or four years now okay mostly just because again i'm pretty lazy about developing sometimes <laughs> and i have uh, a lot better luck keeping concentrates uh, fresh right right yes those are, those are both noted for their for their long longer shelf life right absolutely and yeah i can't get either local unfortunately but i uh i do have uh, someone in canada that i can order that stuff from Okay, and uh, I switched to uh, Legacy L110 as opposed to Kodak HC110 last year. Right, almost exclusively just for the price. Oh yeah, and but I uh, I think uh, a liter of HC110 now in Canada is about seventy bucks. Wow, and uh, it's it's a smaller container, but I I think the Legacy L110 is $28 or $29, and it's it's about three-quarters of the size. Right. Yeah, right. it's it's a quart or whatever it is. I'm not sure the okay. exact, but yeah. And, uh, and for film, I haven't really shot that much color for quite a while. Not because I don't have it, but just because, again, I'm lazy about developing. <laughs> right. It's, yeah, so I... Uh, just been black and white exclusively, mostly uh, mostly Alfred stuff, just because I can get it local. Right. Now that makes sense. Is it all been 35 and 120, or have you been able to dabble in any sheet film yet? I, uh, I haven't been brave enough to uh, tackle sheet film. <laughs> uh, but uh, as far as other formats go, I've tried 127. Okay. I uh, I do have a uh, a couple 127 cameras. Uh, one that I'm probably never going to use. It's uh, it's a plasticky box camera that I bought <laughs> kind of recently, just because it's uh, in the box, which I right. thought was pretty damn cool. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and then but a... yeah, one 127 is fun, but it's uh, it's a shame that it's it's almost like twenty dollars US for a fresh roll. All right. Is your other camera the Yashica 44? It is, yeah. It's okay. a Yashica 44A. Okay. Um, yeah, I think the difference is the 44 is like a, a lever advance, like a Rolly Flex, and the A just has a, a knob advance. Okay. But yeah, I, uh, I've i enjoyed the... Um, I guess I've only successfully uh, shot one roll in it. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I had good luck with it, and uh, the camera works great. And, 
it looks great on the shelf, especially next to one twenty sized TLRs. Right, like a little baby in comparison. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Well, and do you have? uh, I mean, besides the Rolly cord that you just got, do you have another one twenty TLR? I do. Yeah, I have. um, I have a Rolly Flex K one. Uh, which was the first model of Rolly Flex. Okay. Uh, it's it's pretty much a Rolly cord. Uh, yeah. Very, very primitive. <laughs> uh, you know, red window on the back and knob advance, and you have to cock the shutter manually in between shots. And right. uh, then I have a Rolly Flex MX EVS from the 50s, which is uh, a lot more fancier. Right. It's, uh, yeah, it's it's got the... Um, the automat loading, so you don't even have to line anything up. Uh, no lines on the film or uh, through the red window. You just put it through or under the roller, I should say, mm-hmm. and close the back in advance, and it lines everything up for you. Okay. And how do you how do you like the TLR experience? Um, after buying way too many medium format cameras <laughs> i uh i landed on the tlr mostly just because of the uh, the small size and uh and right. relatively lightweight i'm uh, i'm the type of photographer that uh, doesn't sit in one place for very long i'm uh, i'm always on the move so right. um something like a hasselblad or i don't know an rb67 mm-hmm something that's kind of closer to a boat anchor is definitely not my, uh, <laughs> my speed. Right. Yeah. So yeah, that, something, something light that, uh, isn't going to weigh me down. Right. And the fixed lens doesn't bother you. No, not really. Um, fixed film back isn't also a big deal for me either. Right. Um, I, I had a Hasselblad for a little bit and I found myself not changing backs uh, mid roll often and uh, kind of sticking to one lens once I decided to go out and take, take pictures. So right. it's, uh, it's not a big deal to lose that kind of stuff. And uh, even in 35 millimeter, I kind of tend to prefer uh, normal focal lengths like 50 millimeter. So Right. 75 80 millimeter is fine to be stuck in when it comes to six by six okay yeah and like you and like you said earlier i mean it's only 12 shots right <laughs> exactly yeah exactly so yeah okay. I, I don't personally need to switch between uh between films when it comes to 12 shots right and the tlr is definitely a conversation starter as well it, it sure is, yeah. Honestly, that's a good point uh, because I don't think anyone has ever noticed when I've been out with a film camera before, unless it's a TLR. Right. <laughs> Everyone wants to comment on that and say, "Look at that weird old thing." <laughs> right. Right. But in terms of how it affects your shooting, I mean, we talk. You know, TLRs are a different experience because usually I, I mean in my mind anyway i i have used one uh very briefly but you know it's like wearing it around your neck and you're looking down and the mm-hmm. you know the perspective's a little bit different because it's you know it's not up to your eye it's around your belly or <laughs> or yeah. midriff or whatever so the 
the point of view is a little bit different and you're looking down in the waist level finder, but then your other kind of two camera brands, Nikons and Leicas, you know, so you've got an SLR experience where you are looking through the lens and then a range finder where you're not. <laughs> right. The, do what's kind of your, your take on those two different situations? Is it a thing for you at all to switch back and forth? It really isn't. No. Yeah. I guess when it comes to the differences, the only time I would really kind of consciously think about things is if I was trying to shoot something close on a rangefinder versus a, uh, an, an, an SLR because with a, a rangefinder, of course, you're not looking through the lens, so you kind of have to pre-visualize a little bit, right? So, so yeah, that's uh, I guess the major difference for me. Okay, and you, I guess it's from what I understand, some people struggle with the rangefinder patch, either seeing it or understanding the concept behind it, I guess, but you, you never had any struggles along those lines, I guess. No, I didn't. I was extremely fortunate uh, to have my first rangefinder experience on a Leica M3. Okay, so, yeah. <laughs> um, and that's yeah, got the biggest uh, win uh, viewfinder of all of them, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. So it's, I think it's 0.91 times magnification, but yeah, it's got a big, bright viewfinder. So I had no problems using that. And uh, yeah, that got me lots of, lots of practice. And now I, I really don't mind it. Even uh, with my Super Conta, it's, uh, I mean, it's from the mid thirties. It's kind of got a squinty viewfinder, mm -hmm. but I don't really have a problem with it. The, the patches, uh, it's legible. You can see it. It's all that matters. Yeah, that's exactly. That's all you need. Yep. So at what point, you know, you got into film photography, did you, have you always been a podcast listener on different other topics or was it getting into film that got you into podcasts and to listening to them and specifically podcast about film photography? I uh, I was definitely a listener of uh, of podcasts uh, before I got into it myself. Mm -hmm. um, lots of different interests uh, from film photography. I uh, I listened to negative positives quite a bit before I got into it, right. and uh, classic camera revival. Um, but I also enjoy a lot of uh, history podcasts. Uh, specifically, there's a uh, a couple World War II ones that I listen to. And I'm also into uh, true crime and that sort of deal. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's sort of similar to me. I mean, I I, I did listen to, uh, well, first, uh, more digital focused, I guess, but photography podcast, um, certainly film centric later on. But a long time listener, I listened to a lot of comedy different comedy podcast or news oriented or yeah. uh, sports, you know, either sports in general or about a specific team or just, you know, podcasts, uh, at least in my experience, they come and go, you get into something and <laughs> eventually something else takes its place, takes its place. It seems like. 
Totally, yeah. There's just way too many options, I think. Right, right. I've uh, I've got a few that I've uh, been a long-time listener of, but yeah, I'm the same way. I, uh, I have a, a pretty good rotation. Some right. come and go. Right. And so at the point that you... So Sherry had been doing Embrace the Grain for a little while, but, you know, for anybody who might not be familiar, Sherry lives and works on a farm and and farming is a hard schedule right you can't sure you is. can't call in sick you you know if when when it's time to pick the crops you got to pick them you can't just put that off for another day or anything like that exactly yeah yeah plus so a lot of other family stuff going on as well so and you know podcast isn't extremely extremely difficult but there is a little bit of time involved in in setting everything up and so i think she had done it for a while and i think she was looking for someone to just kind of help at least you know with you know have when having a guest on to kind of take up some of the slack of the conversation at the very least i don't know is that kind of how it all happened or how did that unfold that you that you joined up with her on Embrace the Grain? Yeah, I think that's exactly it. She she more or less just wanted someone to uh, help lighten the conversational load. We uh, we had been uh, talking about photography for I don't know maybe a year or two uh, prior to that, and uh, it just kind of came out one day, and she asked me, and I said, "Why not?" Yeah. Well, certainly one of my favorites. Um, yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. I think this is there. There's several shows that kind of, and and this is one of them. <laughs> I think in my mind, anyway, that it's it's what I enjoy about this podcast is just having people on that I enjoy talking to about these things. You know, like we were talking about before, that we we share these interests and have these things in common. And I think it was always good. You know, I always enjoyed it for sure. And and you and Sherry were kind enough to have me on uh, right about the time I was starting all of this up. And as right. part of that, just to have this sort of music connection, we did a, a contest around album covers. And it was mostly just for fun to see what people would come up with. I did offer to send some folks some some film or whatever when we picked a winner, but it it ended up. I, I mean, there weren't a ton of submissions, but it but the ones that did come in were pretty fun. Uh, what what was your take on all of that? Yeah, I thought it was a a very fun idea to uh, to see what people came up with. Uh, like you said, there was some uh, some interesting uh, submissions for sure. Um, one of note in particular, uh, we were talking about it before, but yeah, Jack uh, Balkley with the uh, Surgeon Peppers, where he uh, photoshopped uh, different people from the community into the picture. <laughs> I thought was thought I thought that was such a creative take on the idea. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. And of course, uh, Wendy's uh, album cover, the uh, Elvis Costello. Right, the winner. She was the winner. That's yeah. right. Uh, Sherry did a take on the Adele album cover, I think. Yeah, that's right. And then, uh, 
we had a last minute entry in fact i think uh jeff and gabe from my dream of cameras they did a simon and garfunkel <laughs> <laughs> that's right they did yeah and you actually i think now when we recorded the the one where we were going over them and announcing the winner uh you kind of saved my bacon because uh sherry threw it to me to to describe you know we went down the list describing what people had sent in and she threw it to me and i wasn't expecting it and i had a brain fart <laughs> because larry effler had done rush's moving pictures oh, right cover, yeah and he had done it including sherry's pink pentax <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what was in the frame that was being moved but it, oh, my sorry. brain fart was that i couldn't remember the name of the album the real album and if yeah. there's and if there's any album to forget i'm not sure why it'd be that one because the album cover is them moving pictures <laughs> <laughs> yeah that that is true That's yeah funny. it's a pretty iconic album though it is it is definitely. at least for us canadians <laughs> <laughs> right for sure yeah so well that's a good question and what it where it what is your level of fandom of rush i uh i love rush and all rush pretty much right from right. their early stuff right to uh i don't know stuff like 2112 that's a little bit more weird and prog rock right yeah big fan yeah not just not just the canadian connection but uh certainly in in my area anyway a staple of classic rock for sure especially tom sawyer for sure oh yeah that's, i think that's a classic of uh rock radio everywhere i think so yeah. i don't uh neil pert i don't think he plays the same beat for any two measures throughout that song he was just a great drummer oh yeah he was incredible one of the best for sure absolutely all right so well we teased at the very beginning some some news about embrace the grain so why don't you tell us what what you and sherry have been contemplating and thinking about yeah so it has been quite a while since uh, sherry and i recorded an episode but we uh, we do plan on being back uh this fall hopefully in november at some point but yeah, I guess if you uh, if you have listened to us in the past and you want to keep listening, keep an eye out for that. Yeah, for sure. That's exciting news. I will certainly be looking forward to it, for sure. Yeah, thank you, Billy, and thanks for letting us share that little tidbit. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this has been great, Jake. I've really enjoyed catching up and hearing what all you've you've been up to during the hiatus and, and some of sort of your your musical story. Yeah, thank you, Billy. I uh, I really appreciate you having me on, and it's always nice to uh, to have a conversation about things as opposed to uh, you know just viewing a wall of text. <laughs> That's right. So, uh, how can people? What you want to give out your socials for how people can see some of those uh, Iconta shots and other shots, and and maybe where to get in touch online. Yeah, sure. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Jake Rose Photo, and uh, you can also find me uh, posting in uh, Facebook groups like Embrace the Grain Photography Podcast and uh, Negative Positives. All right. 
Well, thanks again, Jake. It's been great. Yeah, thank you, Billy. It's been a pleasure. Thanks again so much to Jake Rose for taking some time out to chat with me about his experiences with music and photography. Check out the links in the show notes for additional information on some of the things we discussed. And also subscribe and be on the lookout for future episodes of Embrace the Grain with him and Sherry Christensen. Our theme song, Timeless, is by Mike Gutterman. Mike's Bandcamp page is full of music for content creators, so be sure to check that out whether you've got a project you're considering or just want some nice music to listen to as you scan, develop, print, or are just out shooting. You can get in touch with Sunny16 at sunny16presents at gmail.com. And of course, as John Whitmore might say, always try and be a decent human being. 